I'm moving through Colossians together. We're at Colossians 3.16 today. No, typically we sing several songs from the front end. And then comes the preaching of the word. And we sing a song at the end of our meeting. But today, obviously, it's a little different. We sang one song today. Or two songs. One, the Lord's Supper. And, and one just, just now. And so if you're thinking, man, I... I got, you know, we left out some songs. This is not a good thing. Don't worry, we're going to sing some more. Uh, some extra songs to the Lord at the back end of this time. Because of the nature of what's where we're at in the Word, I wanted us to um, sing on the back side of our meeting today. Now, if you didn't care, if you just thought, oh, good, the songs are over, we can get to the preaching of the Word quicker. Well, I've got something to say to you today. <laughs> From Colossians 3, 16. Right, anybody else? Okay. Let's read this verse, Colossians 3.16, and then we'll pray. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray. Father, please guide us on how to obey this verse in your word. God, we come before your word. Not as we ought. But by your grace, God, we do come before your word with fear and trembling. You, you are the holy, holy, holy one who inhabits eternity. And God, we want to take heed to everything that you have spoken. And God, we believe that this is a word that you have spoken. Lord, we believe that this is a word that you have for our church today. So God, please help us. Help us to look to you. To meditate upon your word right now with fear and trembling, God. Give us hearts longing to obey, longing to turn at your rebuke, O oh God. God, you said in your word that if we had hearts that turned at your rebuke, that you would pour out your spirit on us and make your word known to us. So God, we're asking for that. You would give us hearts to turn at your word. God, God, fill us with encouragement. That when you give us commands in your word, you give us things to go after, to be, to do. That in the same way, God, you pick us up and you carry us, God, and you work those things in us. You do that, Lord. You said it in your word. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that you work it in us to will and to do for your good pleasure. So, God, we're asking for that. Fill us with hope as we look at this command in your word. That you, God, are willing and totally able to work it in us, God, for your glory and for your name's sake. Encourage our hearts with that. God, cause us to be a church that has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We love you, Lord. And thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I desire to paint a picture of 
the Christian life and and especially as the Christian life dips into its corporate aspects. It's, it's what I mean by corporate is the body of Christ, the church, uh, its church aspects. I want to paint a picture because I believe that's what ha- what's happening in Colossians 3.16. That a picture is being painted for us of the, of the Christian life. And especially as it dips into its corporate aspects. There's three parts here to this verse of scripture. The, the ESV plainly shows this. Uh, if you have a New King James Version, it... it Obscures it just a little bit, but I just want to encourage you to listen to this. These three parts to this verse of Scripture. Part number one is, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the command. That's the charge. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Number two, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's a corporate overflow of a people of God who, who have the Word of Christ dwelling in them Richly, the overflows, they teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And then number three, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, that's another overflow of the, when the people of God and the word of Christ dwelling richly within them. The overflow of teaching, admonishing one another and songs from our hearts to the living God. That's the three parts. It's kind of the way we're going to break down this verse this morning. Okay, so let's start with that first one. Number one, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I got a series of questions here. And so I'll be breaking all of this down today through these series of questions that are on your study guide. First question is this. We're told to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Well, what is the word of Christ? What is the Word of Christ. And mo- most people think about the Bible here. And it's certainly not less than that. The Word of Christ is certainly not less than the Bible. But I will say that there's something more specific than the Bible that's supposed to dwell within us. It is the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ is the Gospel. In the context of Colossians, the Word of Christ is the Gospel. It's the Word about Christ. It's the doctrines of Christ. Who He is. What He's done. What He is doing as is found in our Bibles is the Word of Christ. You see that clearly? When you compare chapter 1 verse 28 with chapter 3 verse 16. So chapter 1 verse 28, Paul says, Him, Jesus, Him we proclaim. It's the proclamation of Jesus. Him is the Word of Christ. Him we proclaim, teaching every man and warning every man in all wisdom. And here we're told that the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You see those similarities in those verses? And so that thing which he proclaimed, he proclaimed Christ according to chapter 1, verse 28. That is the word of Christ that is to dwell within us according to chapter 3, verse 16. So a devotion to the word of Christ is a devotion to the glorious doctrines of Christ Jesus Found in His Word. And so here we should feel, we should feel a charge like this. Let, let the Bible dwell in you richly. But yet we should feel more than that. Let the Bible dwell in you richly, but specifically the doctrines of Christ. Let them dwell in you richly through your Bible. 
It's this idea we talked about a few weeks back about us being a Bible saturated people and a Christ saturated people at the same time. These things are linked up and cannot be separated. A Bible saturated, Christ saturated people. Next question. Who is supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly? Who is this? Who is who is called to do this? Who's commanded to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly? And he's writing this letter. Paul's writing this letter to the Colossian church. Not just to church leaders, but to the Colossian church. He's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in all of you richly. So as to all believers, this command is supposed to go. Paul is a church leader. And yet he's saying, listen, that thing which I proclaim, teaching and, and, and warning and all wisdom, 128, is supposed to dwell in you richly, all of you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. All the commentaries that I read on this verse of Scripture from about 400 to 500 years ago, they would always use this verse this verse of Scripture, to reason and argue that the Bible should be translated into the English language so that the common man can read it and obey Colossians 3.16, that the Word of Christ dwell in him richly. All the commentaries from 400, 500 years ago did that. Do you know why? you know why that, that's the case? The argument in their day coming from the Catholic Church is that the Scriptures should not be translated into the common tongue. Should not be put into the common language because the common man doesn't understand and he'll misuse the Word of God. And so we had people dealing with this like John Wycliffe. We had John Calvin dealing with this. We had William Tyndale dealing with this. And they said, listen, not according to Colossians 3.16... The Scripture should should be translated into all these common languages because everyone, every member of the church of Jesus Christ is commanded to let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly. Do you know the story of William Tyndale? Kind of a side note here, William Tyndale. If you don't know that story, I'd encourage you to get to know it. you got this man, William Tyndale, that was convicted that the Word of God should be translated from the Greek and Hebrew into the English language. And he starts going after doing that even though... Everybody said that he shouldn't. All, all the people that could kill him said that he should not do it. So he flees. He goes to Germany. He's smuggling English Bibles back into his home country. And eventually he burns at the stake. He burns at the stake for getting the scriptures and translating them into English. Because he was convicted that the word of Christ should dwell in you richly. That should mean something when you open in your lap this, this English Bible. And the thing that stood out to me is that in Tyndale's day, the the people of God were were being squashed. They were being oppressed as they could not obey Colossians 3.16 to let it dwell in them richly. And that was coming from the outside. And yet today, so often, that's what we do voluntarily. That we leave it to the professors. We leave it to the scholars. Leave it to the seminaries. But the Bible says, all of us who are in Christ Jesus, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You get to do this. You get to have the Word of Christ in you. Next question on your sheet there. What does it mean then to let the Word of Christ dwell in you? That's what it says in Colossians 3.16. Dwell in you. What does that mean? It must dwell in us. It must 
dwell, must live in us. The Word of Christ must abide in us. We shouldn't treat the Word of God as a stranger or even as an acquaintance that lives far away, but we treat the Word of Christ as an intimate friend, even as a spouse that lives with us. The Word of Christ that we, we bring it in close, we draw it near. Psalm 119.11 does not say your Word I've hidden on my shelf. It says your Word I have hidden in my heart. Your Word I have hidden in my heart. The Word of Christ can't just be something that we respect from a distance and we respect the Word of Christ when other people preach about it or speak about it. It has to be something that you own for yourself. That you own it in your heart. You own it in your mind. The Word of Christ belongs to you. When your spiritual skin is pricked by the trials of life, I think God wants us to bleed the Word of Christ. Absolutely bleed the Word of Christ. Charles Spurgeon, preacher that many of us know about, he said this about John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, who was thrown in jail for preaching the gospel in his day. And this is what he said about John Bunyan. This man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is Bobline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text. What's your phone number? You see how quick that came to your mind? And in the same way, listen to me. Give me something from the Word of Christ. Give me something from the Word of Christ. Is it on your heart? Is it on your mind? Is it an intimate friend to you? That you know it, that you're ready with it. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It should be at the forefront of our minds, the forefront of our affections. We should constantly be making advancements in the Word of Christ in our lives. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now what does it mean to have it dwell in you richly? What is this word richly? The word richly here means abundantly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you abundantly. That means a lot of it, not a little bit, but a lot of the Word of Christ. Let it dwell in you. Don't be impoverished in the Word of Christ, but be rich in it. This is not a call to cute little quiet times or a little bit of Jesus to get you through your day. This is a call to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. The riches of Christ and His Word are infinite. The riches of the Word of Christ are absolutely unsearchable. How much of it is dwelling in you? How much of it do you have within your heart? I think we pour out time and effort for the riches of the world. And I just want to encourage us to pursue the greater riches with greater zeal of the Word of Christ. With the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let me stop just to ask the question, how is your pursuit of this right now? How is your pursuit of the Word of Christ? What are you doing with it? God, by His mercy in Christ Jesus, because of His blood on the cross, has made way that you might know the Word of Christ. What are you doing with, with the Word of Christ right now in your life? And listen to me, for some of you, as, as I've prayed for our church and as some of you 
From the very beginning, when you began to be interested in the things of God, you've had this struggle all along the way to not be consistent of going after pursuing the word of Christ. It's been a constant issue for you all throughout your Christian life. And I want to encourage you. There's no way past it. There's no way past this. You've got to pursue the word of Christ. You've got to pursue it with all your heart and soul. There's no way past this for growth. It's a foundation. You have issues, you're dealing with anxieties, you're dealing with, with marital issues, parental, parental issues, whatever it might be you're dealing with. There's no way, the Bible has nothing to say to those things if you don't deal with this foundation that the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And for some of you, you've had times of going after pursuing the Word of Christ in your life, and yet now you feel it. Even as I'm speaking, you feel that that's beginning to fade. And I want to encourage you, don't let it fade. Wake up, it's more important than you realize that you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's more important than you understand. Last question here for this section. How can I examine myself in this area? How can I examine myself in this area of letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly? I'm going to give you four examinations. Examination number one, examine your reading habits. Examine your reading habits. Are you um, just, is your reading habits just full of unintentional randomness or of intentional driving in the Word of Christ into my very soul? In other words, is it just iPhone reading and Facebook searching and blog hopping? Is that my unintentional reading or is it this intentional reading of the Word of God and, and books about the Word of Christ, books about Christ and His glory? Examine your reading habits. Number two, examine what's being stored into your memory. Are you allowing to go into your memory just, just whatever happens to land there? Or what's, is what's going into your memory just whatever accidentally sticks? Or are you driving into your memory day in and day out and day in and day out the Word of Christ? Let it dwell in you richly. Third examination, examine your meditations. Your meditations. Are your meditations constantly being driven by your anxieties? The anxieties of life are moving me to think about this and think about this and think about this. Or are you intentionally and purposefully driving your meditations into the Word of Christ? And fourth, I'll mention this one. Examine the depth of of your knowledge of Christ and His gospel. And really what I mean by that is, is it increasing? If you're young in the faith, you're saved recently, you don't have much depth of the knowledge of Christ and His gospel, that's okay. Is it increasing? That's what I'm getting at. Is it increasing? You know, I was thinking about this, that in this culture, in this culture, when the average Christian, when we tend to think about You know, the depth of the knowledge of Christ, Christ and His gospel, Christ and His salvation. We tend to be very shallow in that. So we we think of Jesus, we have maybe one title for Him. He's the Savior. And we have one word that we attach to salvation. He saves. The Savior who saves. And that's all that we know to say He's the Savior who saves. He's the Savior who saves. That's huge. But that's the limits of our understanding of Jesus and His gospel. Yet when you open the Bible, it's full of rich words and rich topics. 
of regeneration and reconciliation and the atonement and the propitiation and all these beautiful words that sometimes I believe we think belong in seminary somewhere. But they don't. They're in your Bible. And so if the way you think about the depths of your knowledge of Christ, the Savior, and of His salvation He saves, is different than the multitude of words being used, the multitude of expressions used in the Bible, why is there a difference between you and God's Word? Could it be that you think too lightly about the Word of Christ? You have too many small thoughts about the Word of Christ. I want to give you just very quickly... Some examples of the biblical diversity in talking about Jesus and His salvation and His gospel. And I just want to blurt out some words to you and, and encourage you. This is not seminary stuff. This is for you. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Where is your knowledge of these things? What about Jesus' eternality? That He from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Have you dug in there? What about His infinite nature? That yes, He's powerful, but His powerful His power has no limits. Yes, He's wise, but His wisdom has no limits. He is infinite in all of His ways. Have you dug in there? What about the omnis, his, uh, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his, that he knows all things, he has all power. He's everywhere at all times. Have you dug into this about your Savior, his justice, that he will not let the guilty go free, that every sin, every injustice will be punished in all of eternity? And what about his grace? That we deserve His justice, but God has poured out grace in Jesus Christ. That He died for sinners that did not deserve it. The just wrath of God is supposed to fall on us. He absorbed it at the cross. He did that. His grace, His mercy. What about His incarnation? That the mighty one, glorious, everlasting God becomes flesh. And takes on the body of a baby and a man and a king of glory. What about the hypostatic union? He's fully God and fully man. He's not Jesus is not half God, half man, but he's fully God, fully man. Have you dug in there? You don't have to call it the hypostatic union. I just do because Shaolin does. There it is. Substitution. That He's the substitute. That Jesus is the one that stood in our place. That His death was not just any normal death. It was a substitution. That He stood there when we were supposed to be there absorbing the wrath of God. He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's called the great high priest who always intercedes on behalf of His people. Have you dug in in these places? This is not left to the seminaries. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What about the atonement that He covers our sins? The propitiation that He bears our wrath? What about the reconciliation that we're enemies of God, but He reconciles us to Himself through the blood of His cross? What about the redemption that He has redeemed us by His blood? That, he has, that means He's purchased us. He has bought a people for Himself. What about imputation that our sin was put on His record? Our sin was laid up, counted to Him so that He took it for us and His righteousness is counted to us. What about justification and sanctification and glorification? What about these things that are found in God's Word? Listen to me. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. We haven't exhausted all those things. And so rather than being a church of people that scratch the surface on the word of Christ, I want us to be a people that dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the doctrines of Christ in the word of the living God. Amen. We'll go for that together. We need to help each other in this. We need to help each other. We need to stir each other up to this. We need to be a church that's always helping each other in this area. And when we do that, what will flow out of that is these corporate effects, which are our next two phrases in Colossians 3.16. As we do that, these corporate effects will come. Look at number two. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, why does the command of Colossians 3.16, okay, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, why does it flow into this one another language, this corporate language, this church language? Why does it flow into that? Why? We, te- we have a tendency, especially in this culture, right, to live this, this idea of uh, individual, this individualistic mindset that we take into the Christian life. And listen, an individualistic Christian life is false. It's not Christian. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Next thing that we see, teaching and admonishing one another, singing and corporate singing to God. Every Christian should have a church-shaped life, a, a corporate-shaped life. That's the idea of the Scripture. The idea, this, this mindset that you hear that, you know what, it's just me and my God. It's just me and my God. That mindset does not exist. It's not in God's Word. It's just me and my God and my family. It's just us. That doesn't exist. A Christian life has a church shape to it, a corporate shape to it. There are other Bible examples where you see these very, very important commands flow out into a corporate expression. So just for an example, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, the command there is, listen, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now how important is that? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what flows out of that? What do you think of when you think of someone filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's what the Spirit of God says about it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, dot, 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 submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Do you see the corporate shape to that? A spirit-filled life. It's a church-shaped life. Hebrews 3.12 is another example. Where in Hebrews 3.12, we're warned. Listen, put away from you that wicked heart of unbelief. But, and you think when he turns the corner, he's going to say... Put away the wicked heart of unbelief, but believe, have faith. But that's not what he does. He says, put away this wicked heart of unbelief. And then here's what he says when he turns the corner. But exhort one another. How do we fight against this unbelief? How do we fight against the faithlessness? How do we do that? It's a church-shaped life that we are called to live here. Colossians 3.16 does the exact same thing. Listen, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly flowing right out into A corporate-shaped life. Now, what does teaching and admonishing mean? What does teaching and admonishing one another, what does it mean? The idea here is teaching is like, it's it's the doctrine that's being put up there. It's 
The truths of Christ being exalted. That's, that's teaching. It's doctrine there. And then the admonishing is charging one another with those things. It's, it's the action. It's the warning. It's the pressing in. See, the teaching is exalting the truth. And the admonishing is prodding each other with that. Prodding our brothers and sisters with that truth. Whether that means a prodding to worship Christ. Or a prodding of Comfort when you are in distress or a prodding of rebuke and correction, whatever it might be. But both of these are important. This teaching and admonishing one another. Now think about that in this church. Are we walking that out? Teaching, speaking to each other about the truths of God's word, the truths of the word of Christ. Are we and admonishing each other with those truths? I believe this should mark every local church, um, not in, not just in the sense of formal teaching and admonishing as we're doing right now, but a one another church. This church marked by people that teach and admonish one another in the word of Christ. Grace Community Church, I want to say this to you. It's the same thing that Paul said to these Romans, this Roman church in Romans 15, 14. Let me say this to you. Grace Community Church, listen. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I believe God's done that. Let's ask him, oh God, strengthen us in this. Strengthen us in this. Now, what typically hinders the body of Christ from teaching and admonishing one another? What hinders it? I'll give you three things that, that tend to hinder that. Number one. It's an error that's been around for a long, long, long time. We can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 through 21. You don't have to flip there. But this error that says something like this. The body of Christ. And because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Because I'm not an ear, I don't belong to the body. That's the kind of warning that's put out there. And so often, what's, what stops us from encouraging and teaching and admonishing one another? What stops that? This mindset, this ancient, it's not new. You're not the first one to deal with that. That I don't belong, that I can't do this. But listen, God's put His Spirit within you if you are in Christ Jesus. You have something to give as a part of the body of Christ. God didn't make a mistake. He didn't pull together his body and go, where did this body part come from? He didn't do that. So that's one error or one reason that we're hindered in teaching and admonishing. Another reason, number two, is just a lack of love and care. Just a lack of love and care. It's selfishness. It's everything is about me and even church is about me. And so rather than this loving, selfless, I care for these people, I want to teach and admonish and build up. It's just about me. That's another reason it gets hindered. Third reason it gets hindered is you just have nothing. You, you, you have nothing to give. Not in the sense that God designed you that way. But you have nothing to give in the sense that the word of Christ is not dwelling in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And from this place you have something. You have something to give in teaching and admonishing one another. And in all wisdom. There's um, I told a few of you this, but a while back I started, I would, I would encourage different Christians like this, okay? In Hebrews 10, let me just ask you, Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25. 
It says this. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Now listen to that again because I'm asking you a question. Let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. Now I share that verse and let me ask you this question. Why, what if you had to answer this? Why does that verse of Scripture tell us don't forsake the assembling together of the saints? When the saints meet together, be there. Why does it tell us not to forsake that? Why? And if you ask 10 Christians this, this is what 9 out of 10 Christians will tell you. They'll say, because I need to be stirred up to love and good works. Now, is that true? It's true. But is that what that verse says? And I want to encourage you, that's not what that verse says. That verse says to you, listen, it doesn't say be there when the church gathers that you might be stirred up to love and good works. It says consider how you might stir them up to love and good works. You need to be there on the offense that you might stir them up. Does that make sense? And I think so often if the mind says I just need to be there just so I can be stirred up when I'm struggling. What are you doing? You're doing great. Just don't come. No, that's not what you do, right? You have this mindset. I love these people. I care for these people. And man, I want to stir them up to love and good works. You show up. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Next question here. Why are we instructed to teach and admonish in all wisdom? Now, you need to think about this. If you just heard what I said and you got something in you going, yes, I need to grow in that. I want to walk that out. You need to listen to this. We are instructed to teach and admonish how? In all wisdom. Now, why is that there? Because we must admit that there's a wrong way to do it, right? There's an arrogant way to do it. There's a foolish way to do it. There is a wrongly motivated way to do this. But we must do it in all wisdom. Now, how do we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom? And it points us back to that first phrase. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So here's the idea. We teach and admonish in all wisdom by doing it with hearts full of the word of Christ. And what that equals is a gospel-centered, a Christ-saturated teaching and admonishing one another. If the Word of Christ is the gospel of Christ, the, 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 the words about Christ in the Word of God, then that means when the Word of Christ dwells in us richly and we go to teach and admonish one another, it is in all wisdom because it's Christ-centered. It's gospel-centered, gospel-saturated teaching and admonishing. This is the way... In all wisdom, this is the way wisdom is used in Colossians. If you study the word wisdom in Colossians, for example, Colossians 2.3 says that. It says, in Jesus is, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Where is it found? In Christ is found all the treasures of wisdom. So is there a Christ-centeredness to your teaching and admonishing? Okay. Is that your mindset? That you come when, when the church gathers, whether it be here on a Sunday or in a Bible study prayer group somewhere or in your home, that the mindset is, man, God help me to in all my weakness, help me to teach it in my is that your mindset? And when you do it, is it in all wisdom? Is it Christ centered? Is it saturated with the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. I think a good example for that is given for us in Romans. I want to read Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 11 and 12. Romans chapter 1 verse 11 says this. It's a good example for us. For I long to see you. And that sweetheart toward the saints. The church is church shaped life. I long to see you. Why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you man. I want to see you that I might strengthen you. What a good example for us. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So right in the midst of this mutual encouragement of your faith and my faith and us being built up towards each other. He says, my heart is I long to strengthen you. And look at verse 15. He says this to believers, to Christians, not to lost people, to Christians. He says, so I am eager To preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He said, I can't wait to come to you believers. And I want to stir you up. I long to see you that I might stir you up to love and good works. I can't wait to preach the gospel to you. What a good example of Christ-centered in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another. There's a place, Hebrew, let me go to another place real quick. Hebrews 10. Go to that Hebrews 10 verse. I, just, I want you to see this just as a good, another good, another great cross reference for what we're talking about here. Hebrews 10. Before we go on to that last, number three. Let me make one more point here. Hebrews 10. Now, most people are familiar. I want to I look at verse 19 through 20. Five. Most people are familiar with verse 24 and 25. It's the verse I quoted a moment ago. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Most people are familiar with that. Okay. And the idea there is teach and admonish one another, right? Teach and admonish one another. But what people aren't typically familiar with are the verses that come before that show us how to do it with the word of Christ dwelling in us in our wisdom. Let's look at it. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That's purchased for you. The blood of Christ has made a way that you can enter in to the holy place with God. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest. Over the house of God. So here's all these things that are purchased. Jesus has shed His blood for you. You can enter into His presence safely now. He's become your great high priest that intercedes on your behalf continually. And because He is this, you get three let us statements. Let us do number one. Let us do number two. Let us do number three. Number one says this. Before we get to the let us stir each other up and teach and admonish, the first one we get is let us draw near. Draw near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. Number two, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then you get to number 24, teach and admonish one another. 
So what comes first? How do you do it in all wisdom? How do you do it with the word of Christ dwelling in you? You do it from this place of, guys, listen, Grace Community Church, let us draw near to God. Let us be a people that by the blood of Jesus Christ draw near consistently to God through the word of Christ and remember that confession, these doctrines of Jesus Christ Himself and from that place stir each other up to love and good works. Teach and admonish one another. Let's go to the third the third one, singing. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's, that's another overflow of a people that have the rich supplies of the Word of Christ dwelling in them. They sing. They sing to God. They sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. To God. One thing we see in that is this truth. That what has to happen is those with the deepest thoughts about God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Should be those who have the highest praises of God. Singing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Those who have the deepest thoughts about God. Ought to have the highest praise of God. First question there, why? Why do we sing? You ever thought about that? We sing. We just get together and we sing. Why do we do that? You ever pondered that? There are hundreds of references to singing in the Bible. There's at least 50 very clear commands to sing to God. Clear commands, sing to Him, but... but but why? Why has God designed it this way that we would sing? It's kind of a weird command, right? Don't murder. Oh, and sing. Isn't that odd? Sing to God. So why do we sing? I want you to think through that. I believe it is very important that we as a church ponder this. Okay? Singing. Historically, for us as a church, has not been our strongest point as a local church. But listen to me. Praise to the living God. He has grown us. And I want Him to grow us more and more and more in corporate singing to the living God. I think we need to think about this. Now, some people might think singing. It's not that big of a deal. But here's the problem. You don't get to decide what's a big deal. God does in His Word. And He speaks about it again and again and again. Singing to the living God. I think, as I said earlier, or the mindset I said earlier, if somebody thought, oh, good, the singing is over quicker so we can get to the Word. I'm afraid that sometimes, I know we j- I'm joking about that, but I'm afraid that there's times where that really is the mindset. We gather together on Sunday morning, and you know, let's just kind of get these songs out of the way, and now we get to the Bible. And that's the way that I think we tend to treat it. But Colossians 3.16 is not treated that way. It says, Word of Christ, do you richly? And these two are right beside each other. Teaching and admonishing one another and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They're placed right up next to each other. So why do we tend to have a smaller view of singing in this culture? So why? So why do we sing? So let's answer the question. I hope you know it's important. Why do we sing? Because God is so glorious 
that this means of communication must be employed in an attempt to match his greatness. Okay? Let me say that again. Why do we sing? Because God is so glorious that this means of communication must be employed in an effort to match his greatness. What do I mean by that? In other words, talking about Christ is good, but not enough. Preaching Christ is good, but not enough. Praying to Christ is good, but not enough. We must sing to Him. Do you know how glorious He is? The question you should ask is, is that biblical? Is that biblical? And obviously I want to prove to you that it is. Let me read a couple verses to you. Exodus 15, verse 1. Listen. God's just parted the Red Sea. The Israelites have walked across the Red Sea. The, the, the Red Sea has fallen back down and destroyed Israelites' enemies. Praise to the living God and listen to what they do in Exodus 15, 1. I will sing to the Lord for... Oh, what's the reason? For... I will sing to the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. Why do we sing? Look, look at Him. Look at what he's done. What else will you do? How are you going to express the greatness of what your eyes just saw in the power of God? I'm going to sing to his holy name. Let me give you another one. Psalm 13. I want you to walk away and love singing to God. Psalm 13, verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because. Why? Why do we do that? I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. It's because He's so good. Why do we sing? If He was less glorious, we wouldn't sing. No need to. But He's glorious beyond what we can imagine. And so, how do we express it? We sing to His holy name. Psalm 47, verse 6 and 7 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Why? For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. What about Psalm 59, verse 16 and 17? Listen. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. Why? For, for you have been to me a fortress, a refuge in the day of my distress. All my strength I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. And we could go on and on and on. We sing to God because He's so glorious that mere words are not enough. Think about this truth. The greatness of God. The greatness of God. Okay? We should talk about that. But that ain't enough. You understand that? The greatness of God. That should be preached. Not just talked about, but it should be heralded that our God is great. But that's not enough. God is great. And that should be prayed. God, you are great, Lord. And you are greatly to be praised. But even that is not enough. God is great. So we sing to Him. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. We sing those praises to His name. We sing because He's so 
He's so glorious. There's a proper emotional response that should come out of mine and your hearts to God. And the expression that can carry those proper emotional responses like no other are singing to God. Nothing can carry those emotions like singing. So how, Grace Community Church, brothers and sisters of Christ, how is your singing? How is your singing to the Lord? If singing was a window into your soul, and Colossians 3.16 seems to say that it is, the Word of Christ filling in you richly, singing. If singing is a window into your soul, how's your soul? How's your soul? Kent Hughes, he asked this question that I thought was penetrating. He said this. If someone judged the glory of God and the riches of the word of Christ by the way your church sings to God, what would they conclude? If the judgment was made by looking at the way we sing to God of his greatness and the riches of Christ, what would be the conclusion at Grace Community Church? That's penetrating, isn't it? Next question. When do we sing? When do we sing? I pray we sing all the time. Psalm 34.1. It says, let his praise continually be upon my lips. And oftentimes, I hope that's in singing. And we just continually sing to our God. Also, I hope that you carry it into the secret place of God. When you go day after day after day. And you go to a secret place of prayer. And with the word of God open before you're reading his word. I pray that you'll go there with songs in your heart. That you'll sing to him all by yourself. I pray that we'll do that as a church. You heard it said a lot of times. You know in, in, in our circles. The second most important book for the Christian. Is the church membership list. Y'all heard that said? Bible's first, second church is, is second. Well, D, Dustin challenged me on that this week. He said, what about the hymn book? So yeah, he, he didn't push me hard, but I thought you're probably right. What about the hymn book? This praises to the living God. We'll make church membership this third most important book. So we sing in a secret place. Uh, Psalm 149 verse 5. It says, let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. I like that. Let them sing for joy on their beds in these secret places. But we also sing corporately. As a church, gather together to sing to God. And that's the main thing that Colossians 3.16 is talking about. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in the context of this one another. Of teaching and admonishing one another. Okay? So, main thing Colossians 3.16 is referred to. Excuse me. is corporate Worship and corporate singing. The people of God have been gathering together to do this for a long time. I just We just read Exodus 15. Moses and the people of God. Stop it. You imagine thousands of people gathered together singing to God. He is triumphed gloriously. Can you imagine that? And it's all over the scriptures of the people of God gathering together to do that. Second Chronicles 5. We see when the, trumpet, when the trumpeters and, the, and, and the, uh, the singers gathered together in unison. And they're singing to God. The glory of God fell down on that place. In Second Chronicles chapter 5. We see in Matthew 26 verse 30. 
Jesus and His disciples, they take the Lord's Supper together and then they sang a hymn. And we just read past that so quick. What do you think our Savior looked like as they sang that hymn to God? They sang to the Father. Gathered together, singing to the Father. 1 Corinthians 14 is a chapter in the Bible that, that speaks a lot about the corporate gathering. Gathering together corporately. And we see singing to God there. I came across this little quote I thought, I thought you'd be interested in because I was interested. Uh, Pliny, uh, the governor of Bithynia in AD 112. Okay, get your mind there. AD 112, governor of Bithynia. He's writing to Trajan, the, the, the emperor of Rome. Okay, big deal in this letter. So he's the governor of Bithynia, writing to the emperor of Rome. And he's concerned about this Christian sect and the influence that it's having. What's this Christian sect doing? The influence it's having among the people. And this is what he writes. I thought this was interesting. The Christian sect, I don't know what to do with them. Because on an appointed day, they're in the habit of meeting before dawn and singing a hymn to Christ as to a God. So here's a guy from the outside looking in going, what are they doing? They have lost their minds. I don't know what to do with these people. Singing to God. So Grace Community Church, I want to encourage us to be a people that grow in this. Okay, Let's grow in this. Let's grow. Let's, let's grow in gathering together, forgetting cultural things and norms or sin, coldness and sin, that keeps us from belting out praises to our God in song. Let's grow in this. We agree that we should grow in the Word of Christ, right? And if this is true, that the deeper your thoughts about God, the higher your praises of Him, then as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, we ought to grow in our singing to Him. So I want to encourage us to grow in this. Now, Next question, what do we sing? What do we sing? It says here, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, it's hard to know exactly what these distinctions mean. There have been ideas. Psalms means the psalms. Hymns means a, you know, a, a song of praise to God. And, and, and spiritual songs are kind of more uh, topical in a sense. Yeah, people say stuff like that. But no, nobody really knows exactly what these distinctions mean. But you do know that there's a diversity in songs. What do we sing? We sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's a diversity in the things that we sing to God. Now, is it important to, to think about what songs we as a church corporately sing? Is that an important thought? And I would say a resounding yes. Why? There are really bad songs. And they're really good songs. So it matters what we sing. Now, most people think that's just a new idea. You know, like in this age, there's lots of bad songs. Okay? That's the way we think about it. Let me give you a quote from J.C. Ryle, a, a well-known preacher from the 1800s. And I want you to know this is nothing new. J.C. Ryle says this. Good hymns are an immense blessing to the church of Christ. I believe the last day alone will show the world the real amount of good they have done. There's an elevating, stirring, soothing, spiritualizing effect about a thoroughly good hymn, which nothing else can produce. But really good hymns are exceedingly rare. There are only a few men in any age who can write them. Hundreds of so-called hymns are really not hymns at all. They're very sound, 
Very scriptural, very proper, very correct, very tolerably rhymed, but they are not real, live, genuine hymns. There's no life about them. At best, they are tame, pointless, weak, and milk and watery. That ain't new. It's not a new thought. How do we pick songs at Grace Community Church that we sing? How do we pick that? This has been thought out. Now, we don't... You know, Jake thinks about it. He just show up on Sunday morning. I wonder what we're going to sing today. Okay, how do how do we pick what songs we sing at Grace Community Church? And I'll just mention a couple things. Number one, rich in truth, especially truth about Christ, the Word of Christ. Rich in truth are the songs that we sing to God. One, because it says sing spiritual songs, spiritual songs in Colossians three. 16. Two, because it's the overflow of the Word of Christ dwelling in us that we sing. So we sing things rich in truth about Jesus Christ. And then, and then three, I would say, because it's about God. We sing because He's glorious. So of course, we would sing things about His glory. Right? Music that does something... That does not involve rich truth of who he is and what he's like. What is that music actually doing? Is it manipulating? To manipulate you to feel something that really nothing is on your mind about God? What's happening there? So that's one thing we do. Second thing that God's our song choice is, and this is a little bit more unique to us. I just want us to be on the same page. Grace Community Church. We, we try to mainly, if not fully, pick songs that are full of personal pronouns to God. You, O oh Lord. And, and, and that's and what's, what we're going after there in a sense is what we've noticed over the years of the church is a personal weakness that we have tried to work through. And praise God, He's helping us and He'll continue to help us. That we don't just want to sing about God, but we want to sing to Him. So these songs, how, how great Thou art, You, Lord. We want to sing songs to the living God. Now that doesn't mean everybody has to do that. that everybody, everybody has to fit in that framework. I just want us to be on the same page as Grace Community Church. That we have taken an attack, an attack on that. That we want to sing songs mainly with personal pronouns. I'll talk more about this in a minute. But we are commanded mostly in Scripture to sing to God. Not just about Him, but to Him. To Him. Um, very quickly, two songs that are, that are uh, examples that we sing. That, we're, that we actually just... One we just sang, and we're going to sing one in just a moment. These two songs are written 200 years apart. One of them, listen to this, is from Holy, Holy, Holy. Listen, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee. That's personal pronoun to God. What songs do we sing? Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. There is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love, in purity, rich truth. To God. Second song, Grace and Peace. We just sang it a moment ago. Grace and Peace. Oh, how can it be? The matchless King of all paid the blood price for me. Slaughtered Lamb. What atonement you bring. The vilest sinner's heart can be cleansed, can be free. Oh, what an amazing mystery. What an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. <clears throat> Next question, how do we sing? It says here, look at Colossians 3.16, it says, With thankfulness in your hearts. 
Church, this is so important. Listen to me. With How do we sing? You don't just sing the way you want. It says, with thankfulness in your hearts. Jesus said that it's possible to honor Him with your lips, but your heart be far from Him. This is important. Jesus said that the Father is actually seeking such to worship Him. Not just in truth, but in spirit and truth. He's seeking that out. This is important that we sing with thankfulness in our hearts. It's not a light matter. The, the prophet Amos, we hear this in Amos about God. We got a record of God saying this. Listen, take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your hearts. I will not listen. Do you hear that? God can look at a group of people and say, take the noise of your songs away from me. Listen, sing with grace in your heart. Sing with thankfulness in your heart. This is a big deal. It's a big deal how you... How you sing. One commentator said, He acts the hypocrite who sings with the heart asleep. This is important. It's very important. Don't, don't you love that phrase, the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Don't you want to be found by the Father like that? I want to be found by you, God. That you, you peek in on us worshiping you, even in just a moment. I want to be found by you with hearts bursting with praise to my God whom I love. How do you sing to the Lord? How do you sing to God? How, in fact, how this heart thing with thankfulness in your heart to God, how important is that to you? How important is that to you? Is dead worship just as serious to you as dead or bad doctrine? Is dead worship just as serious to you as bad doctrine? Do you long to see your church erupting with praise to God in song just as much as you long to see your church believe sound doctrine? These things should slam together. Every time the church gathers, you really have, uh, you have two decisions. We typically think of one. You have two decisions. Every time the church gathers, you have one decision. Are you going to be there? Okay, Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. But that's not the only decision. The second decision you have is, are you going to engage? When the word of God is preached, are you leaning in and saying, God, speak to me today. It's you that we want to hear from. When we pray, are you leaning in and saying, God, we are praying to you together. I pray what my brother's leading us in, in prayer. And when we sing, do you engage? Do you participate? Lean in that we sing to God in his presence. Only God could see your heart just a moment ago when we sang to Him. Only God could see that. Was He pleased with that? Was He pleased with that? <clears throat> I want to encourage you in this real quick before we move on. If you are hearing these things and you think, you know what? You feel conviction. You're bothered by it. Man, I want to grow in this. This kind of thing is there. Listen. I'm bothered of, of my own heartless worship, my own heartless singing to God. If that's bothering you, let, let me encourage you with this. Let, listen to Isaiah 42, verse 3. This is, this is about Jesus. This is what Jesus is like towards you. Listen. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. 
What does Jesus do? When He sees the, the, the wick, it's, it's not burning like a blaze, it's faintly burning. It's a faintly burning wick. What, what does Jesus do? Does He say, I'm through with you. Is that what He does? No, it says He will not quench it. But rather He takes that flame and that fire that He settled in you from the very beginning and He fans it into flame. This is what Christ will do. I want you to be encouraged that He's like that. One more point before we move to that last question, okay? One more point. This should go unsaid, but since I read about it, I'll say something about it, okay? When it says singing with thankfulness in our hearts, it does not cancel out physical expressions of worship to God. In other words, it's not saying, don't make a peep, just sing in your hearts. I hope that's obvious to you, okay? Hope that didn't even need to be said. Okay? But that's something that I saw written. But, but, but I want to use that as a chance to say this. Listen, Grace Community Church, I want us to be encouraged that there is a freedom here to offer up any physical expressions of worship to God that are found in this book called the Bible. Singing is a physical expression of worship to God. Even loud singing to Him. Shouts of joy. Hands raised, dancing to the living God. These are all physical expressions of worship. And they are not drowned out by the idea of singing with grace in your hearts. But it starts in the heart. And, and you are free in Grace Community Church to worship God in those physical expressions found in the Bible. In fact, I heard one guy ask, and I thought it was a great question. He says, if you read about different physical expressions, there's a, long, there's a broad range of them. Of worship in the Word, and you read about some of those physical expressions that you never walk in, you never do. Why? He said, Why not? And I thought that was a good question. I'll leave it there. Last, last question here. To whom do we sing? Now, that's just, you're like, Well, it's common sense, right? Not to mention, you've been saying it for the last 10, 15 minutes. To whom do we sing? Last two words of Colossians 3 16. To God. To whom do we sing? We sing to God. Now, that needs to be highlighted. That can't just be taken as common sense. It, it has to be highlighted. God is the object of our worship. He's the one to whom we sing. To, to God. In other words, we don't gather together as a church to sing to each other. It's not a cute sing-along. Now I understand that there's a sense in which we teach each other in our singing. I understand that. But the most prevalent thing we see in God's Word. Do your own study. Look up every place in the Bible that speaks about singing to God. And what you'll find is most prevalent is not singing to one another. But songs to God. To Him. He is the object. That's part of the reason we mentioned the personal pronouns earlier. Not that everybody has to do that, but that's our attempt to strengthen us in singing to God, not to each other. And not only to each other. We're not called to merely sing about God from a distance. Okay? Think about this. But not just sing about Him from a distance, but to sing to God in His presence. Think about how that would change your singing. 
If you think about showing up to sing and, and, and you're singing about God and God's far away somewhere and we're just kind of singing about Him. And then the moment it changes that the Scripture calls you in His presence to sing to Him, you imagine the way that changes your singing. Imagine what that does to you. <clears throat> singing in His presence to Him is very, very important for us to grasp. We need to grasp this, okay? So go with me here. We need to grasp singing to Him in His presence is very important. Now, when I say in His presence... You know I'm not referring to the omnipresence of God, okay? The, the, the idea that God is everywhere at all times. We, by the blood of Jesus Christ, have access in the, into the presence of God in a way that no lost person has. And every lost person, at least however you say that, has the omnipresence of God in his midst. What I'm referring to here, I want us to think about this. Is the manifest presence of God or the discernible presence of God, the felt presence of God. Bible, John 14, 21. It says, if you if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Whoever loves me and keeps my commandments, Jesus says, I will manifest myself to him. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and He will what? Draw near to you. Now wait a minute, I thought He was omnipresent. I thought He was everywhere at all times. How can He draw near if He's everywhere at all times? Because we're not talking about just the omnipresence of God, but the manifest presence of God where He draws near to you. The verse doesn't mention Revelation 3, I believe it's 20, 21. He stands at the door and knocks. If you open the door, He'll come in and dine with you and you with Him. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. Believers have been granted an access to the presence of God that lost people cannot experience purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you think about the presence of God whenever you gather together to sing to Him? When you gather with the church, do you think about His presence before whom we sing? Now, when the people of God gather together corporately, this is a special, listen to me, this is a special time for experiencing the manifest presence of God. Three reasons I say that the corporate gathering when we come together is a special time for experiencing the manifest presence of God as we sing to Him, as we hear His Word. Three reasons I say that. The corporate gathering is more representative, it's more representative of heaven. Okay? When we are in His presence fully, the people of God with Him. Number two, it is the corporate gathering is more representative of what Jesus purchased. He didn't just purchase you. He purchased a bride, a body that's gathered together to sing to His name, to hear His word, to pray to Him. And then third, the scripture tells us that the corporate gathering is a special time to experience His presence. Matthew 18, 20 says, speaking about church, when two or three are gathered, in my, gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Think about that. 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, I picture the people of God gathering together and the glory of God filled the temple. He inhabits the praises of His people. 1 Corinthians 14, when it's given that description of the, the gathering of the church, it says in verse 25, here's the description from outside looking in. God is truly among them. It's this idea of the presence of God. Now, how does that affect 
your corporate, our corporate singing. How does it affect our corporate singing? Let's view corporate singing as this. Come Lord Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. We want your presence today. We, we want to sing to you praises of glory. We, we Come Lord, we want to sing to you. It's the way we, that's, that's a description of the way we should, the disposition that we have as we enter into a time of singing to God. I think we should view corporate singing as a response to the manifest presence of God. We should view corporate singing as a way to invite or cultivate the manifest presence of God. Psalm 100 says, come into his presence with singing. So, Grace Community Church, listen to me. Let's resolve to do this together. No half-hearted singing to God. It's important to us. As sound doctrine is important to us, it's important to us that we sing with grace, with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Let me close and pray just by reading this verse one more time. And I want to encourage us to stand on it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Father, please help us, God. Lord, you didn't just command us things and leave us stranded, Lord. But you promised us help. You promised to be to be a God to us, Lord. To empower us, Lord. That the same power that rose Christ from the dead, you said, works in those who believe. So God, help us to walk out. These commands, this portrait of your church, God, Lord, we we know that we have weaknesses, God, and ways that we need to grow and be strengthened. God, help us to be strong in worshiping you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen.